Hello again, and welcome to Contemplative Episcopalian, a podcast of St. Paul's Episcopal Church. We are a Christian faith community located in downtown Beloit, Wisconsin. I am Father T.J. Humphrey, and for this episode, we are sharing with you a homily that I delivered on August 23rd. There we go. Uh, Couldn't remember what day it is. August 23rd, 2020. The title of this homily is The Eternal Now. It's a concept that I'm borrowing from Alan Watts, um, who wrote a book um, several decades ago called Behold the Spirit, a fantastic book on spirituality. Um, If you have not heard of him or have read it, um, it was back when he was an Episcopalian. Later in life, he became a Buddhist. Um, But it was a book that he wrote while he was an Episcopal priest, and it's one of the greatest books on Christian spirituality I've ever read, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, The Eternal Now. Um, if you're somebody who tunes into the podcast regularly and you would like to support the ministry of St. Paul's, um, we have an app called, or we don't have an app, we participate in an app called Ministry One, um, and you can download the app and you can look up uh, St. Paul's Episcopal Beloit and find us on there, and you can give online if you're interested in doing so and supporting the ministry. You can also send a check um, to St. Paul's Episcopal Church Beloit. Just give us a Google and our address will pop up right there for you. Um, but yeah. And if you're not interested in that, that's fine, too. Um, We're just really grateful. I've noticed that more people from different places in the country uh, have been uh, seeking to support us and thankful for what we're doing. I think that's really cool. If you're somebody, there's people from California and from Kansas who have sent checks to us and letters of gratitude. And to me, that just just blows my mind. Um, Because when I started this whole project, I didn't expect people from California or Kansas to listen. Um, I was mainly just putting, uh, putting it up so I can record my homilies for people who missed Sunday mornings or people who just can't get out on on Sunday mornings. And so it's really great um, that we've um, reached so many people through this avenue. So if you would like to support it and keep it going um, and um, yeah, support the ministry of St. Paul's, um, feel free to give. We'd be very happy, especially during a time of pandemic when we can't meet in person um, for services. But um, but yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, hope that you find this homily to be uplifting. God bless. Stay safe. Bye. A reading from Mark. Jesus left that place and he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all of this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could not do a deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. Here ends the reading. Jesus does not want to be to us today what he was to us yesterday. 
And Jesus does not want to be to us tomorrow what he is to us today. There's an outlandish scene in the movie Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby, where Ricky Bobby's family and his best friend Cal are gathered around the dining room table for dinner. The scene begins with a group arched over their plates in prayer as Ricky says, grace. He begins his prayer with, dear Lord, baby Jesus. And he continues to petition this baby Jesus all throughout his prayer. And at one point, his wife, looking rather perturbed, interrupts and says, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. But in response, Ricky feels the need to defend the version of Jesus that seems most fitting for him to pray to. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus the best, and I am the one saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or to teenage Jesus or to bearded Jesus or whoever you want. And then Ricky bows down again to continue the prayer. But once again, he is quickly interrupted, this time by his father-in-law, Chip. And Chip offers the same rebuke as his daughter. And it's no surprise that Ricky re-emphasizes his previous argument all over again. He still likes the baby version of Jesus the best. Now, at this point in the scene, the most ridiculous line of all comes bursting forth out of the mouth of Ricky's best friend, Cal. Cal exclaims, Well, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. I like to party, Cal reasons to himself out loud. So I like my Jesus to party. From there, the conversation only devolves further and further into a downward spiral, probably actually more like a nosedive as different people around the table begin chiming in on all the different ways in which they like to imagine their Jesus. Now, while the whole scene is meant to make its viewers laugh, and it's certainly good for that, I remember when I saw the scene for the first time, I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is actually a pretty damning satire of the current state of much of American Christianity. And while the scene may seem outlandish, it's not really all that far-fetched. We Christians are often very guilty of trying to trap Jesus in our own sentimental ideas about him. We like to keep him in a container, if you will, one that feels most comfortable to us and the one that most aligns itself with our moral and political persuasions. And we don't let Jesus be simply who Jesus is. And we try to force him to be what we want him to be what we would prefer for him to be. Now, while it is very true that there are many people out there who do limit their prayers to the Republican Jesus or the Democratic Jesus or the social activist Jesus or the focus on the family Jesus or the evangelical Jesus or the Episcopalian Jesus even, now that's the best Jesus of all, but still, we don't contain Jesus. Well, there are some of us who do that. We have a very narrow, focused in, propagandized, agendaized, I think I just invented some words there, view of Jesus. There's some of us who are guilty of that. 
Most of us, most of us, probably all of us who call ourselves Christians, at some point or another in our lives, limit our prayers to the Jesus of our past experience. The Jesus as we used to know him, the Jesus as we experienced him the most powerfully in better years of our faith, or in earlier years of our faith, or when we felt more alive in our faith. But when we limit our ideas of Jesus to the Jesus of our past experience, this is the precise point when, as one modern theologian has said, tradition goes from being the living faith of the dead to the dead faith of the living. But apparently, there's nothing new under the sun. Jesus ran into this very same problem in his hometown. The people who had known him locked in so tightly on their ideas of who he was and who he should be and what he should be about that they were blinded in their unbelief. As Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, the villagers there began to ask themselves, what's with this guy? Where did he get all of this newfound wisdom all of a sudden? And what are these deeds of power that he's doing? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us as well? In other words, isn't this just that snotty carpenter's kid who was rumored to have been conceived out of wedlock, who grew up just down the street, right, like right over there? Isn't that him? What's with him? The text tells us that they took offense at him. And that their lack of faith, it actually hindered Jesus' ability to do what Jesus does best, to offer healing and hope and wholeness to people's lives. The text tells us that he was only able to help a few people at his homecoming. And Jesus left his hometown amazed at his own people's unbelief. The people there had let themselves become too familiar with a certain aspect of his story, they failed to see the bigger picture. And they had locked him up in their own ideology of what he should be and what he should and should not be about. They trapped him in the past, in the sentiments of a history that they had shared with him. <clears throat> they knew who Jesus used to be to them, but they didn't want him to be anything new to them. They wouldn't let Jesus grow up, but most importantly, most importantly, they wouldn't let their ideas about him evolve. This whole scene in Jesus' hometown, it's no different than the scene at that dinner table in Talladega Nights. The story serves as a dire warning to us all. If we keep Jesus contained to the ideas we held about him in the past, if we refuse to let our ideas, our, our ideas about him evolve, if we refuse to let him surprise us in this present moment, his presence will have no power in our lives. And he will look at us too and be amazed by our unbelief. My friends, Jesus does not want to be to us today what he was to us yesterday. And he does not want to be to us tomorrow what he is to us right now, today. This is important. It's important because many times people feel stuck in their spiritual journey. 
At one point in their lives, they had a profound experience of Christ that really shaped them, impacted them. And more than anything, they really wished to rediscover the power of that moment, the power of that season, the power of that experience all over again. And while it may seem like a harmless thing to long for, the effects of such a longing can be really crippling. It's to play the part of Jesus' hometown, in many ways, or the part of Ricky Bobby at prayer. My friends, we shouldn't chase after who Jesus was to us in the past. The 14th century English mystic Walter Hilton once said that even if the risen and exalted Christ should appear to you in all of his glory while you're praying and then suddenly disappear from your sight, you know what you should do? You should carry on in your prayers as if nothing had happened. It may sound odd. Now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't take note of this experience and cherish the gift of it for what it is. But here's what it means. It means that you shouldn't seek to replicate that experience. Because in seeking to replicate that experience, you will be closing yourself off to all of the other ways in which Christ can and will appear to you. If you're just looking for Jesus in one kind of experience, one that is most familiar to you, you will be closing yourself off to a whole host of other experiences you could be sharing with him. Christ doesn't just want us to experience him in one way, but in a manifold way. His is a manifold presence, after all. Jesus fills all things with his presence, and in trying to chase after that one way in which you experienced him that one time, you will be closing your heart off to his presence all around and even within you. Jesus always wants to give us more than he has given us in the past. He doesn't want to replicate our experiences. He wants to deepen them and broaden them. He wants to expand the horizons of our enlightenment. He wants to deepen the impact of his love, the imprint of his love in our hearts. He wants to push the boundaries of our experiences, push the boundaries of what we even thought was possible. And he wants to fill every aspect of our lives with the power of his loving and restorative presence. <clears throat> so it's unwise to keep him quarantined to our past ideas about him, quarantined to a limited sector of our lives. Instead, we should aim to find new ways to fall in love with him every day, for there is no shortage of places to experience him, no shortages of opportunities to fall in love with him anew. As he said to his disciples in the Gospel of Thomas, Turn over a stone and I am there. Cut into a piece of wood and you will find me. Or you can simply look in the mirror. As that great mystic Meister Eckhart once said, The eye through which I behold God is the same eye through which God beholds me. Jesus doesn't want to be to you today what he was to you yesterday. And he doesn't want to be to you tomorrow what he is to you today. Christ is not looking to meet you back in your past, 
nor is he rushing to greet you in some sort of future. No, he wants to reveal the fullness of who he is to you in the now. Right now. Don't try to meet him anywhere else. Go from glory to glory. Don't remain fixated on the glory of the past.